Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Well, Merry Christmas. How we doing today? We good? Hey, you are the fifth of five Christmas services. You got to end this thing on a big note here, all right? So I need a lot of energy from you. Uh, We're glad that you're here. I've already said it once today, but uh, I'm thankful that you have chosen to spend part of your Christmas with us here at Canton Church, soon-to-be Generations Church. You've been hearing now for the last couple of weeks what we've been talking about for the last couple of months, that we are in the midst of a transition from Canton Church to Generations Church, and that takes place on January the 5th, the first Sunday you come back in the new year, uh, and you will be back, right? January 5th, we want to see you here for that transition, Canton Church to Generations Church. Uh, this is just a move that we believe that God has, has ordained. He's led for us uh, to better reflect our heart for generations found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is for you, your children, and your children's children to help you possess your faith and pass it on. And we believe also that it helps to position us for what God has led us to begin to explore uh, to not just reach generations of families here in this present location, but to begin to look at future locations of our church And where the Lord would take us so that we can open up new opportunities for ministry in those communities as well and reach generations there. And so we're excited about that. We want you to be here with us. It also starts our 21 days of prayer and fasting, this annual event that we have where we commit ourselves, consecrate ourselves, and really start the year off focusing on our relationship with God. And so I invite you to be in prayer about how you're going to participate. If you've never done any fasting, it does not imply that you can't eat food for 21 days unless you feel the Lord leading you to do that. And then if so, we want to help you with some wisdom there on how to conduct yourself. But maybe it's to give up a single type of food, to give up a single meal each day. Uh, or, or maybe, uh, you know, food is not something that you can give up for health reasons or other reasons. So maybe it's a behavioral thing. You're going to give up social media or technology or change your behavior during those 21 days. And it's not just to do something different. It's also to fill that time with dedicated time with the Lord. So if you fast lunch, let's say, you would give that hour of time or 30 minutes of time that you give to lunch normally to God and spend some time in prayer or worship uh, or Bible reading during that time. And then each morning, Monday through Friday, we'll spend an hour here together from 6 to 7. Uh, in the morning, we'll have you out of here no later than 7 so you can get to work or to school um, for prayer and worship and fellowship. It's going to be a great time. And then Saturday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. So uh, just be prepared for that. We want you to come be a part of it. It's a really, really special, special time. And then the, co- the uh, city has told us we are just days away from final approval for us to begin construction on the downstairs space for us to take over that space that was previously Sears, and we'll open up a new worship space and a new lobby space so that we can move all of this up here to more dedicated family ministry space for our kids and our youth. And so we're excited about that, so be on the lookout. Construction should begin here in just a few more days, and so we're excited about that. Well, for me, as I think about today and been thinking about today for several days, several weeks, several months even, I'm excited to continue this look that we started last week at A Generation's Christmas. When I think about Christmas, I don't know what your traditions are, your holiday things are. I don't know what you do for Christmas, but we do a lot of things. We got a lot of traditions. We got a lot of family events. We got a lot of things that we like to include in the celebration of Christmas. But perhaps my favorite thing about Christmas is that my wife turns into like a baker. I mean, it's amazing. She's a great cook all year long, and she bakes some things uh, throughout the year. But it's like 
Thanksgiving comes and then Thanksgiving goes and it's like the, the rest of the year, our kitchen is like mixing bowl out all the time and flour everywhere. It's amazing. I love it because I love not to cook, but I love to eat. And so I carry a little extra holiday weight with me till about mid-March. And, uh, and so I'm thankful for that. But it's amazing how it comes together because what will happen is you'll, you'll hear her in there and she'll be in the kitchen and you'll hear noise and pots and pans and all the stuff. And you kind of look in and when you do, you see her begin to collect all of these seemingly disconnected things right? She gathers the flour, and she gathers the eggs, and the butter, and the sugar, and whatever flavoring, and all this, and she starts to kind of compile it, and put it together, and as she does that, you begin to watch, and over the next few minutes, or even the next few hours, you start to see all of these seemingly disconnected ingredients through the power of time, through the power of heat, through the power of pressure, through the power of manipulation, either by hand, or in some type of mixer, it begins to form something amazing. You smell it before you see it. And then all of a sudden, it's ready to be served, and you eat a cookie or a cake or a pie. She made bread the other night. Oh, my, I can eat bread any way you can make it. I mean, I loved it. It was amazing. And it seems to be that these disconnected pieces of food come together to make something extraordinary. I think that's the story of Christmas as it relates to the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The family tree of Jesus Christ, which is found in the Gospels. The Gospels, remember, are the first four books of the New Testament. And we talked about last week that not each of those four books has a specific genealogy or family tree. The book of Mark does not specifically have a family tree of Jesus. It begins with the baptism of Jesus and moves directly into his public ministry. The book of John connects Jesus directly to God the Father when it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and in the beginning was, uh, he was with God. And so we see him connected directly back to God. But, but the, the author of, of Matthew and the author of Luke, they take a different approach. Because what they do is they begin to take the, the life of Jesus and connect it to the human experience by naming those humans in the stories of Scripture and throughout history that really help to deliver us Jesus. And so when we read these names, it comes to us beginning in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and 2 when it says this. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. I could keep reading for the other 16 verses that are there, but what it's interesting to me is that Matthew, as we discussed last week, is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, and so it's important for Matthew to immediately connect the genealogy of Jesus Christ through the Jewish fathers. And so he begins by talking about Jesus, and this genealogy is the son of David, and he's the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are these famous names. As we're reading through the genealogy, we may not know all of the names, but these are names that many of us would be familiar with because in the Old Testament, we see these names recited at the beginning of the prayers of the Old Testament saints as they're trying to remind God who he is and remind God who they are connected to as they pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the writer here, Matthew, wants the reader to know, these Jewish readers to know, that Jesus is connected to the Jewish culture. He's connected to the Jewish 
family. These are famous names. These are ingredients in the story that God is writing that you and I would be very familiar with. But other names are not so familiar. If you continued reading there in verses 5 and 6, it says this. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Now, King David would have been a name that you're probably familiar with. This is David who killed Goliath prior to becoming King, this is a famous name. This would be a famous ingredient. If you were writing the story to deliver Jesus to the earth, you probably would have included King David. But these other names here, perhaps, you wouldn't have chosen. Salmon and Boaz, perhaps. The name Ruth is a name that we're going to look at in the spring of 2020 in about a four-week sermon series as we look at the entire book of Ruth. I'm really excited about that. But one of these names that stands out to me is the name Rahab. Rahab is a name that some of us might be familiar with if we're more connected to the Jewish history and the children of Israel's story from the Old Testament. This is the name of a woman who, when spies were sent out from the children of Israel to go and to search out the land that they are called to inhabit, the promise of land and the promise of possession and the promise that they would become a people that God made to Father Abraham... They're now ready to take possession of that land, that promised land. And so spies are sent out to determine, like, what are we going to face when we get there? Who are the enemies that we're going to have to fight battles against? And they come to the fortified city of Jericho. Remember, these are former slaves, and these are not warriors. They've been out in the wilderness for 40 years. And so now they're trying to determine, are they capable of fighting the battles that are necessary to inhabit the land? And they come to this fortified city of Jericho. And there are people that want to kill the spies. But Rahab takes the spies and hides them. Now, some accounts tell us that Rahab was a prostitute. Others' account tell us that she was an innkeeper. In either sense, it would not have been abnormal for her to have people in and out of her home. And so she brings these spies into her home, and she hides them up on her roof. Her house would have been inside of the walls of Jericho or very near the wall, leaning up against it near the top of the wall of Jericho, and so she hides them on the roof. And once those that want to kill the spies leave, she's going to let them down so that they can escape and get safe passage back to their people. But just before she does, she says to them, We know that you're coming. We've heard the stories. We know that your God is greater than our God. We know that your strength is greater than our strength, and we understand that you're going to come and take our city. But when you do, Will you please remember my kindness towards you and save my family? Well, wouldn't you know it, when the people of God come to the city of Jericho and God supernaturally delivers it into their hand, they remember the promise to Rahab and her whole household is saved. I'm so thankful that her household is saved because without it, we would be missing one of the necessary ingredients for what God is writing here, for what God is creating here. Rahab's name is included because God, in his forethought, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, allowed for God's people, the children of Israel, and the spies who came into the land to keep their promise to Rahab so that she could be included in the list of ingredients that God was compiling, seemingly disconnected and yet serving a very intentional purpose. These other names that are included here, there are four women that are included Rahab is one of them, Ruth is another, Tamar is another, and then in verse 6 you might read the name Bathsheba. Your translation may say that King David, whose mother was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We're talking about Bathsheba no matter how she is described. 
You, you probably remember the story of Bathsheba. She is the woman who was bathing on the roof on the night that King David should have been out to war because it was springtime and that's what kings did. And yet he's battling insomnia, walking around on the roof in a place that he shouldn't be, in a time that he shouldn't be. And temptation overcomes him. He gives in. He brings her to the palace and he has an affair. He commits adultery with another man's wife and to cover up his mistake, he kills her husband, Uriah. After a certain period of time for grieving and mourning, he brings her to the palace. He brings her to himself as him, his wife, and she conceives a son named Solomon who would be a part of the history of Israel. It's a mess. The family tree of Jesus is a mess. It's that way in my house. In the kitchen of our house, when Corey starts to bake and the kids hear it, before I can even smell it, they want to be a part of it. We've got four kids. Cooper's 15, Branson's 12, almost 13, Tucker's 10, and Kinley's 8 and runs the show. And we, we just we hear them coming. Once mom's moving pots and pans and mixers and they start to hear, hey, mom's making cookies, mom's making a pie, mom's making a cake. They want to be a part of it. And it's amazing to watch the grace that Corey extends as she allows them to help. And yet what a mess it makes. They don't have the skilled hand that she has. And as I think about our family trees, I think about our genealogies, I think about our stories, I see so much mess sometimes as the pieces all begin to work together. These seemingly disconnected pieces, seemingly disconnected stories that I can't imagine how in the world they're ever going to come together for something sweet. And yet God in his sovereignty he seems to be able to do it time and time. Again, there's another story, another name that I come to in the genealogy of Jesus. I've heard this name before. I remember hearing it as a child, and I don't know that I knew it was a biblical character. I think I thought it was somebody in a comic strip. It's the name Zerubbabel. When I heard that name Zerubbabel, I, I think I thought it was some type of hero in a movie somewhere. But no, it's the story of one of the first names that's mentioned after the Babylonian exile of the Hebrew people. And Zerubbabel is the one who leads God's people out of the exile, out of the captivity. In 520 B.C., he begins to govern there in Judah, one of the kingdoms, and he eventually helps to rebuild the temple. It just, unless you know the story, it just seems like a name in a list of names. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I feel like a name in a list of names. Sometimes I just feel like in the hustle and bustle of life and the everyday stuff, it's just Monday, it's just Tuesday, it's just Thursday. It just feels like I'm just a name in a list of names walking through a human experience. And I can't figure out, I've thought about it a lot, I've tried to figure it out because I love the Bible. I really do. I know not everybody does. I love the Bible. I love to read the Bible. I love to see how the pieces fit together from one book to another, one chapter to another, the New Testament to the Old Testament. I love the way the stories weave together, and I have no problem seeing how God orchestrates the lives of the biblical characters. And yet so often, I know for me, and I've talked to so many of you, and you struggle as well, to believe that while God can do that for biblical characters, that God has any design in mind when it comes to the details of our lives. It's just Monday, it's just Tuesday. We're just a name in a list of names. And yet when I was a child, my mom used to say this, 
God don't make no junk. Now, she had a little better handle on the English language than that on a normal basis. But what she wanted me to know was that God doesn't make mistakes. And that God always has a design in mind. Just like the one who steps to the counter and pulls the ingredients together, they have in mind what it is that they're trying to form And the ingredients seem to be disconnected from one another, and we can't see how they fit. But when we read through the story of these names, it's not just names. It is God's fingerprint. It's the story of God. It's the details of God being orchestrated together to deliver to us something on purpose for a purpose. And it's not just contained in Scripture. It's contained in you. It's contained in me. God knows what he's doing. And yet sometimes I just feel like a name in a list of names. It's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Thursday. And then I'm drawn to these words in James chapter 4, verse 14, when it says this. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Merry Christmas. Aren't you glad you showed up today for that good news? <laughs> you're a mist. You're here for just a little while and then you're gone. It doesn't matter if you live 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. You are but a mist. I was reading this last week about the oldest living married couple. They are 105 and 106 years old. What an incredible testimony. I pray that I'm able to beat their record. And I was thinking about, they've been married 80 years. That's something Corey and I aspire to. They've been together 85 years, but they had a long dating and engagement period, or they would even have a greater record. 80 years married, and I was thinking about their lives, and yet, they're but a mist. They're but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Because the story that God is writing is greater than you. It's greater than me. It extends beyond our lifetime. It was here before we were, and it extends beyond our time on the earth. And so what do we do with the time that we have? What are we called to do? What is our mandate? It's to make the most of every moment. To make the most of every moment. Can I be honest? I miss a lot of moments. I don't make the most of every moment. It happened to me most recently, probably, probably not most recently. I've probably missed more, but just thinking about it. It happened to me most recently on Friday afternoon in preparation of our first two Christmas services. We had two wonderful services Friday night here and celebrating Christmas for those that couldn't be here today. And, and I was preparing for Friday night service, and so I was in our living room. We weren't yet ready to leave the house, but we were getting ready. And, and so I was down on the couch, and I had pulled my laptop open on the arm of the couch And as I do most times when I'm studying, I put headphones in and I have a playlist that I listen to, some worship music. And right now in this season, it's Christmas worship music. And so it was playing in my ears and and I'm reading and I'm writing and making notes and tweaks. And and so just kind of prayerfully preparing for what God would have that night and then even into today. And a little while later, I was done. I closed my laptop. I took my headphones out. And Corey was walking through the living room. We were preparing to go. And she said, man, is Kenley upset with you? Kinley's our eight-year-old daughter. I said, what? I felt like I'd been kind to Kinley today. I don't, what did I miss? Did I do something? I, you know, I, I wasn't sure. Is this like a, a Kinley holiday that I'm not aware of? And I, 
I couldn't figure it out. And so I said, well, what happened? She said, well, she came into the room a few minutes ago and didn't know you had headphones in. And she stood there the whole time and told you this elaborate story and you never responded and you just completely ignored her. I was like, I didn't, I didn't know. I missed the moment. If I'm honest, there's a bunch of moments I've missed. Some way more intentional than that. But I miss moments when I don't make the most of moments. Christmas is the season where we're called to Make the most of these moments. It's the picture of the shepherds who come leaving behind what they're called to do, to come to sit at the foot of the manger and worship to the baby Jesus. Making the most of the moment. It's the picture of the wise men, the magi. Were there three? Were there four? Were there 12? We don't know. There's just as many as there is in the nativity set we bought at Target. We're not really sure. Scripture's not specific, and so we just go with what Target tells us, right? And they come from afar, bringing the best quality of gifts to lay at the feet of the baby Jesus. They made the most of the moments at Christmas. When I think about Christmas, sometimes I miss the moments because what I'm focused on is the gifts. I would love to tell you something greater than that, but I focus a lot on the gifts. I focus on the gift exchange and the gift giving and the gift receiving. And last year, this 2019, but after last Christmas of 2018, we came out of Christmas and, and I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something, even though it's not Christmas, even though it's not a birthday or an anniversary, I want to get Corey another gift she hadn't asked for it for Christmas, but she had been talking about maybe wanting one for quite a while. And so I thought, you know what? Christmas is over. She's been talking about an Apple Watch. I'm going to get her an Apple Watch just in January, just because. A lot of people got one for Christmas, so as they're, you know, kind of selling off maybe an old one that they have, I can get one for her. Then she'll be proud, not just that I got her a gift and be thankful for that, but that I got a good deal, you know? And so I was like, okay, so what I do when I'm thinking about buying something, I tend to go first to Amazon. Not because that's necessarily where I'm going to buy it, but that kind of tells me what is the market. I may buy it somewhere else, but what's the new market, the used market? Like, that helps me to know, you know, where are we at in all this. And so I go to Amazon, and I start to look, and wouldn't you know it, I find the same model with the same specs and the same color that I'm looking for for a better price than I thought was even possible. And so I think, man, I'm, I'm going to be able to get her a really nice one, better than I thought, for less money, and you know, it's from Amazon, so I can have it in like 20 minutes. That's awesome. And so, you know, they've spoiled us. And, and so I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's definitely what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy it. And so I started to do more research to figure out, like, who do I want to buy it from? And I found that there was one specific seller that had thousands and thousands, no exaggeration, like thousands and thousands and thousands of, of five-star reviews. And I'm thinking, this is a noteworthy seller. I'm going to use them. And then I found out right beside what I was about to click buy now, right beside that I found those magic words, Amazon fulfillment. So I didn't have to wait for Steve from Des Moines to ship the Apple Watch. It's in a warehouse very near me, and Amazon itself will deliver it to I'm so excited about this. So I'm like, I've got this. I'm going to surprise her. And so I click buy now. I'm going to get the watch. I'm waiting. I'm thinking they're going to tell me, like, it's now in your mailbox. Like, you just clicked it, but now it's in your mailbox. And so I was like, oh, and it's like, no, you got to wait two days. I'm like, two days? Where's this thing coming from? The moon? My goodness, that's so far. And so I wait my two days patiently, right? Two days later, they send me the notification on my phone of the picture from the driver of my front porch with the box. I'm thinking, that's a little scary, but okay. So it's on my front porch. And so I go out to the front porch, and I find this Amazon box. 
And so I'm so excited. I'm like, kids, come on. I included the kids because I'm a great father. They didn't help pay for it at all, but it was fine. <laughs> so I'm like, come on, let's give mom the Apple Watch. We decided to give her, you know? And they're like, what? We got mom? And I, yeah, 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 just play along, play along, play along. And so I walk in, and I'm like, Corey, hey, listen, we got you a gift, and we just wanted to say we love you, and happy January the 18th, right? Merry whatever. Okay, so we give her the box, and she takes the box, and she's like, we're in the world. I was like, it's an Apple Watch. We know you've been wanting one for a while. It's so, okay. So she takes the Amazon box and she lays it on the kitchen counter and she cuts open the box and she, she opens it up and she takes out the packing stuff and Tucker starts popping those and giving me a heart attack. And, and so like, we're all right, okay. And she reaches down to get her watch and I am so excited. I'm like more excited than I am to receive a gift. And so I'm so excited when she reaches into the box and she pulls out not an Apple watch, but a piece of black rubber. And I'm like, what is happening right now? It was Amazon fulfillment. <laughs> Thousands of five stars. Babe, I am so sorry. I, I, is this some kind of sick joke? I don't understand what is happening. I did all the right things. Amazon is broken. It's broken. And so I pulled out my laptop, and I sent an email to every person who's ever worked at Amazon, ever. <laughs> and I would love to tell you today that your pastor maintained the joy of the Lord and the fruit <laughs> of the Spirit and... Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I would love to tell you that. But if I did, I would have to tell you also that I need to repent because I'm a liar. I was so angry. I was angry. I was like, what happened? Steve from Des Moines has done this to me. I don't understand what is, I mean, I'm looking in the box. I'm trying to figure, I'm checking that text notification. Like, did he steal it when he put it on my porch? And I don't understand. And in my mind's eye, I know what's happened. I figured it out. I've thought about it, and I know exactly how this thing played out. I know how it happened. There's a man at an Amazon fulfillment warehouse. And he has been working tirelessly through the Christmas season. And he got his wife some gifts, but maybe she didn't get everything she wanted. And he's watching come down the conveyor belt, because not at this Amazon fulfillment do they have, like, robots. This is a guy. And he's watching as it's, like, vacuum cleaner bags, bags of pretzels, batteries. And he sees an, Amazon, he sees an Apple watch that his wife would love. And he's like, well, I'll do that. Snatches it, grabs a piece of rubber off the machinery, puts it on the conveyor belt to be shipped to my house so I would give the rubber to my wife. That's what I figured out had happened in my head. Now, I've later come to find out that's not true. You can't even take technology on the floor. They make you sign like your firstborn child away before you can leave the floor of the warehouse. Maybe someone purchased the watch and returned the piece of rubber and kept the money and the watch, and, and I don't know. But when Amazon got it, they didn't check it, and so they shipped me not an Apple Watch. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is we got a gift that was different than what we thought. And on January the 18th, 2019, after I had calmed down, which I think took until January the 19th, Amazon did all the right things. They issued the refund. We calmed down. We got her the watch. All was right with the world. But on that day, when Corey and I looked at a box that contained a different gift than we thought we wanted, 
we thought. This is the story of Christmas on the earth. Now, on the earthly side of Christmas, this is exactly how the story played out. The Jews were under the rule of the Roman Empire, and they needed a king to come and overthrow the government and make things right again and set them free. So they thought the king is coming to earth. When Herod heard the news through the Magi, he thought what he was about to see was a political rival, an opponent. And yet, in both instances, all they got was a baby. On the earthly side of Christmas, you ask for what you want, and you get a box like this. But on the heavenly side of Christmas, in the sovereignty of God, in the supernatural ability for God to know not just what we want, but what we need, it doesn't look like this. It looks like Jesus in a manger. It looks like the Savior come to earth because that's what Jesus knew we needed most. It occurs to me that if God thought we needed healing most, he could have sent us a doctor. If God thought that what we needed most was defending, he could have sent us a lawyer. If God thought what we needed most was protecting, he could have sent us a soldier. But God knew what we didn't know. That what we needed most was saving. And so he sent us a savior. But he sent us a savior in a different form than we would think. If we were writing the story, if we were compiling the ingredients and making the list and how, helping the story to come to pass, this is not the way we would have done it. And yet God brings these seemingly disconnected pieces together. And he forms them and works them. And over time, with heat and pressure, he continues to shape mold and he knows that at the end of Jesus' life on the earth he must go to be the blameless sacrifice on the cross to replace the blameless sacrifice required by the law and if a soldier showed up we'd miss him and if a doctor showed up we'd miss him and if a lawyer showed up we'd miss him but when we went looking for the blameless sacrifice we could believe it in a baby. We could believe that God truly loved us when we see the baby. It doesn't seem to make sense until it makes sense. It doesn't seem to come together until we see how God is working all things together. In the earthly side of Christmas, it's not always the gift that you want. But the heavenly side of Christmas is that it's always the gift that you need. Because at Christmas I'm reminded that God always gives the best gifts. He always gives the best gifts. Sometimes in my disappointment and in my frustration, 
sometimes in my pain, sometimes on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday when I feel like I'm just a name in a list of names. I can't see how all the pieces fit together. And yet I'm reminded in the truth of Christmas that God is writing a grander story. And that God is bringing all these seemingly disconnected pieces together for one purpose. Look at this in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verses 8 through 11. This is what it says. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. A Savior has been born to you. We didn't know we needed a Savior. We were asking for something different as Christmas. And yet God, in his great love for us, knew exactly what we needed. In just a moment... The worship team's going to come, and they're going to lead us in one more song. And when they do, we invite you to utilize the candles that you received when you came in. If you don't have one, you can lift your hand in just a moment. I'll give you instructions, and they'll bring one to you. But before we do, I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. With nobody looking around. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I know what I need to do. I need to enter into the family of God. I need to ask God to forgive my sins and to lead my life. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I want God to change my eternity forever. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Put it right back down. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I don't want to miss the blessings of God in my life because they might look different than I thought. If the story of God is being written in his grand scheme and the pieces seem disconnected and I can't always see it, I just want to make sure that God helps me to trust him enough to believe that he knows best. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. God, we love you and we thank you today for what you've done across all five of these services. We thank you, God, for your love for us and for the story of Christmas. We thank you, God, for those who have made decisions to follow you. And God, I pray now for those who've lifted their hand to ask you to be the Lord and Savior of their life, to lead and guide their lives from this moment forward. We celebrate with heaven for those that have made that decision to join the family of God today. God, you receive them with open arms now, and so God, we thank you for that. Lord, now we pray for every person that lifted their hand to ask you to help them to trust you more. To believe the blessings of their lives are blessings that come from you, even when they can't always see how the pieces fit together, but that you're leading and guiding their lives. So God, I pray that you would help us to trust you more than we ever have before, that in doing so, the blessings that you do give to us may look different than what we wanted, but would be exactly what we needed. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.